Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Real Podcast. This is episode 2, or episode 7 if you're still going by the reference of my last podcast from, what, 5 years ago. But uh, we're going to try to forget about that now. But um, yeah, there's been an overwhelming response to the first episode, which I'm very happy about. Uh, and it came together on Spotify and everything else much easier than I expected. Although it seems to have uploaded twice. Um, I'm not sure if I, anybody noticed that. If you search the podcast, it comes up as two separate podcasts, both called the Crackdrill Podcast, with both the same first episode and description and everything. So I need to get onto Spotify and see if they will merge the two, because even though I'm still getting all the same analytics and statistics and whatever the fuck, analytics probably not the right word, I'm getting all the same statistics. Um, they're telling me it's coming from two different places, so one podcast might have 10 listeners, while the other one will have 20 and... It's a bit all over the place, so I'd rather just have it as neat as possible. But um, I'm just looking at some of the statistics here and from the different countries where this has been heard. Now, obviously, the majority of this is going to be in Ireland. Um, There is four people from the United States listening, and I think I know who they are. And I'm pretty happy with that. The United Kingdom is three. And then, strangely, the Netherlands is three. And I have no idea anybody who lives in the Netherlands or how they could even heard this I, I mean there could be some people who follow the Cracked Real page on Facebook from the Netherlands that I don't know about so if you're listening and you hear this all three of you uh, let me know who you are because that'll be interesting but that's nothing compared to this one this one is really surprising now and that's one person from Vietnam listening I don't know a single person who even knows anyone from Vietnam so it's really unusual that this is spread that far Unless they were looking up something else and they just happened to find this. But if you're again listening to this episode, please get on to me. Because I'd love to know who the fuck is listening to this all the way out in Vietnam. And what it even sounds like. I'm trying to think, do I even even know anyone who's like doing a fucking... Who moved there for some holiday or going to find themselves or whatever shy people do when they go on holiday. But yeah, I'm pretty happy with how this has turned out. And you're now listening to episode two of what'll hopefully be many and this this should sound better too because my setup is as fucking budget as you can get um i explained last week about the kind of microphone i'm using but i have it sitting on top of a footrest which is on top of a shoe box which is now on top of the box i got this microphone in with towels underneath it to uh, soften the audio of it so it it should sound a bit better because it's up closer to my face and i've less uh, hunching over to do but yeah this is a uh, about movies and not about me sitting around fucking talking about how my microphone is standing up which if you accept that as a euphemism that's that's all on you i'm going to talk about some stuff that's irritating me in the home cinema industry no what's the word maybe it's industry yeah fuck it it's the industry i'm looking to save and buy myself a nice big oled tv because i've had big tvs for years and i've moved up to 4k there last year but i was watching it and everyone was going mad about this hdr thing so i was like that's high dynamic range which is like the best colors and definition and all this kind of shit everyone was going on about it and every time hdr was activated on my tv it looked like absolute shit if i was if you had a a scene which was against like the camera's looking towards the character and there's light behind them when it cuts back to the other character that they're talking to, all the colour has to resaturate in the image. And it just looks so fucked up. And I thought, why is this happening? This only happens when HDR is activated. And 
even in other situations where like you'd be looking at a, a field or you know you're looking up into the sky and it's really bright and then it cuts to a field all the green grass would go from what looks like bright yellow down to green and i thought this is just the most fucked up thing ever and it, it says hd or activated some it can't even be turned off on amazon prime so i'm just stuck with this fucking stupid set and a lot of stuff and i was going mad trying to figure it out because i was thinking this is a 4k tv it should be at the best standard turns out it's active hdr which is the equivalent of fucking hd ready to full hd so it's it's pretty much a mock version of hdr which it advertises as a fucking real hdr so i looked into the real hdr and it turns out it's actually pretty fucking amazing unfortunately this has turned into a big problem with fucking tvs oh no i've kind of gone a bit off topic i was about to talk about the actual size of tv so yeah i moved up to 4k tv and i finally have tvs i'm happy with 55 inch big fucking savage things but i noticed that if i'm watching it in the dark in particular even if the screen has gone black there's still a glow coming from the tv because the, the it's still transmitting light through just to, to emulate black um so if there's a scene that's at night or if it's just a small bit of light in the screen even if it's, if it's meant to be jet black it still has a bit of light coming through to it's more or less dark 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 gray um so once i looked into the oled tvs and how they work i was like i desperately fucking need one of them what they do is if there's darkness on screen rather than have a little bit of light coming through and making it sort of dark dark gray it has no light coming through it only lights up the parts of the screen that has light in the scene and fucking hell once i saw that i just can't go back so i'm saving to get one of them and i want to get one that has the proper hdr but my problem now is there are so many fucking versions of hdr out there that it's overwhelming completely there's the, obviously there's regular hdr there's like hdr gl or gh or something like that I can't remember what that stands for. Uh, then there's HDR10, which is apparently really good. Then there's HDR10+, Plus, which is now the best one. And now there's fucking Dolby Vision, which is the ultimate one. And I think there are some TVs that have all of these things available, but they're all fucking two grand and up, so they're kind of a write-off. I'm trying to... Like, a grand would be about as much as I'd like to spend on this. I Actually, I'd rather not spend a grand. I'd rather spend fucking 50 quid, but... We all know that won't happen, so I'm I'm looking into finding one that will actually suit my needs in that sense. But the problem is, it's not that these TVs have all these settings available now, which it is annoying in its own sense. The problem is, if you were to watch a 4K Blu-ray... Oh, by the way, I want to get a 4K Blu-ray player as well, so I can watch shit from all over the fucking world, because the fact they're still region locking is embarrassing. Um, and 4K have abolished that so if you buy a 4K Blu-ray from China it's still going to work although it might have a disease attached to it but it still works and same with America and same with anywhere else but for some reason uh, the 1080p Blu-rays are still region locked to different regions and it's infuriating so I'm now trying to find a 4K multi-region Blu-ray player that supports HDR10 and Dolby Vision and the reason I needed to do both is if I have a, a 4k blu-ray and it says oh it supports HDR10 and I throw that in a tv that only has Dolby Vision it won't work I mean it'll play the movie you'll just play it as a regular 4k blu-ray but it won't have any of the HDR features available and same vice versa if I have one that's been mastered in Dolby Vision and I throw it in a tv that's only HDR10 it won't work 
and the fact that this is all coming down now when we're at the peak in terms of television and quality and all this and now they've decided to complicate things drives me insane so i'm trying to find an extremely specific home cinema setup which if i want to do it the right way is going to cost me a fucking bomb and it's uh it's exhausting but if i can get it right i'll have literally just the, i'll never leave the room again my life will turn to a fucking shambles because i'll be sitting there i mean all i do is watch movies anyway but i will never leave the fucking room if i can get that setup working so that's my that's my life at the moment now what some of you might not realize is that nine minutes that you just heard there uh, was recorded yesterday what happened was minutes later actually not even minutes seconds later this, as soon as i finished what i was saying there the doorbell rang and uh in came a flurry of nieces and nephews so i couldn't continue the podcast so I'm continuing it today. Uh, thankfully, I was able to listen back and remember what I said because I was nearly about to go on a big spiel about fucking HDR TVs again, forgetting I just talked about it all yesterday. Instead, I'm just going to talk about some some other things that pissed me off. One is this website. Now, I only heard about this a couple of years ago. What was it? 2017. Whenever Mother came out, which is one of the most anxiety-inducing, nerve-wracking you can call it a horror it definitely has a lot of horror elements to it but it's not exactly scary it's just rife with fucking anxiety and tension and you don't know where it's going to go and i think a lot of people were upset with the film because darren aronofsky was very much up his own arse in the lead up to releasing it because every interview he just talked about how smart he was and how fucking all these religious all the religious imagery that's in it and how he went about doing that and basically he kind of sort of gave away what a lot of the film was about by tooting his own horn about oh look at me and my references but that, that put a lot of people off it didn't really bother me because i didn't see anything about it till afterwards um and had i seen it beforehand i probably would have thought this guy's a fucking tool which in a way <laughs> he kind of is he's quite pretentious but i do like his movies but that film a lot of people didn't like it it was a big risk for i want to say paramount was it Paramount? I think they did it, and it was a fucking like a failure for them. But it's a great film. I think it's really good. It took a bit of time to get used to, it, but there's this website called Cinema Score, and they are just a combination of surveys and things like that from. I think it's mostly around America, but they have a, an A to F rating system that comes about from all these surveys they do of like, oh, would you buy the movie? Was it that good? And, uh, ticket sales and all this kind of shit and they consider it an, uh, oh, I suppose you could call it unbiased in a way but they come up with a rating system for all these movies and for the first one in several many however many years Mother got an F rating and the whole fucking internet blew up about it talking about well when I say the whole internet the whole movie side of the internet um, it blew up talking about it as if it mattered in any fucking way whatsoever and what came down was a, a load of articles talking about how it got this F rating. Not even giving their own review, but just pretty much just talking about someone else's review on their website. And it's happened again. It's happened a few times recently. There was that film, The Grudge, the remake that came out there well, in America just before Christmas. But it, it only came out here this week? Last week? I'm not too sure. It's only recently here. And it got terrible ratings, although I still plan on watching it. Because I don't trust ratings. And again, I know the irony. I'm a film critic who doesn't like to listen to other film critics or, or and doesn't recommend people listen to film critics, but that's just the way it is. 
with that film it got an F rating articles about it and now again this horror movie The Turning which in fairness it looked like a lot of bollocks anyway I didn't have much interest in seeing it at all and some reliable people I know have said that it has it's a disaster and not like a fun disaster like the room or something like that it's just a your time is well wasted kind of disaster but again it got a, an F rating on cinema score and fucking websites are jumping on the bandwagon again <clears throat> one in particular that I, I gave out about was bloody disgusting and they they just put it in such a way that because the cinema score for this film is an F rating it is now an invalid film no one should have to see it no one will go see it rather than posting their own fucking review of it and saying well actually no it got an F rating here but we think it's this good or whatever it's using that website as the be all end all of film ratings out there and that you should be listening to it no one should fucking listen to these things same with IMDb and same with uh, Rotten Tomatoes. No one should listen to those things. You can use it as maybe a guide. But even then I wouldn't fucking listen to them. There's stuff that's on IMDb that I've seen that has like 4.8 up to like 5.5 and things like that. Stuff around that area that are solid films. They're entertaining. They're really good. Some of them are actually a lot better than, than entertaining. They're actually quite good films. And there's some films I've seen on there with late 7s and fucking some 8s that aren't that good. They don't interest me and they're kind of shit. You can't, you can't lump these things in together and make a whole rating system out of them because everybody's different. Everyone's going to watch these things differently. And even that fucking CinemaScore website, it gave Hereditary, which to me, along with Kill List, is the best horror film of the last fucking decade. Like, th- there's been no film that I've watched as a horror film that has had such unnerving fucking tension all the way through. Like, there's a whole 40 minutes of that film, I don't think I took a single breath because it was that fucking nerve-wracking. And it's just phenomenal in every single way. And they give it a D plus. And it's just like, are people going to say, oh no, that's a, that only has a D plus now. It's not worth watching. It's just a little bit above an F, so it must be shit. Let's move on elsewhere. They didn't have any articles coming out about that to talk about how shit it is because they already gave it their good rating. And there's probably more out there. Like Again, Mother, for example, they gave it an F rating and that doesn't deserve that at all. So you can't trust these fucking things. It all comes down to your own opinion. And the fact that a website like Bloody Disgusting is pushing that effectively shitting on the movie rather than writing their own review which also doesn't matter they're just going look this other website said it's shit so that that backs up what we're saying imagine imagine any website going out there and just saying oh this film only has a 3.5 on imdb who gives a shit just write your own fucking review and stop just banking on other websites giving bad reviews so you have a reason to write a fucking article it's a garbage way to go and that's my thought on that. But again, it, when it comes to anything, like I, I was even just talking with my brother yesterday about this. I don't like the way certain people behave when it comes to to movies and their quality. And people will allow these websites like Rotten Tomatoes, like IMDb, like this Cinema Score one out, which, as I said, no one fucking heard about it until this whole mother thing came out a few years ago. I never heard of it and I haven't heard of it since. I only hear about it when a fucking F rating comes out because that's all people want to talk about. They like to shit on these. But if you if a really popular film comes out and you do a bad review on it, people, they just automatically think you're an asshole. I mean, now, don't get me wrong. There are people out there who are total contrarian fucking idiots. And they go out of their way just to go, oh, this is popular, I have to hate it. And vice versa. If something is absolutely shot on, they have to go, this is a masterpiece. It's like, no, things can just be good. And you're allowed to have your own opinion on stuff. And I know that there's people... Uh, who put out some stuff about Joker. Now I absolutely loved Joker. 
But I know people didn't like it, and I can see why. There are there are problems with the film. It's really heavy on its references to Scorsese stuff. It comes together in certain ways that are a bit unrealistic. But again, you have to you're in a sort of semi-realistic superhero world here. But even still, the whole film, the whole atmosphere, the acting, everything just totally worked for me and totally grabbed me. But it didn't work for some people, and that's fine because they're given real reasons why they don't like it, and vice versa. A film I go to a lot for this is. Uh, the fanatic the fred durst directed fucking sort of horror thriller with john travolta playing a severely autistic movie fan people act as if this movie is like the room in terms of how bad it is and all this and how bad the acting is it's not at all now it's not a fucking great film like some people are going out of their way now because it's getting all these like fucking zero percent rotten tomatoes ratings and all this shit like it fucking matters at all people are all going out of the way and they're saying no it's actually brilliant it's like it's not really it's quite entertaining John Travolta is actually really good in it like if you know what he's actually supposed to be doing I think people just think he's doing a really shit job at acting but they don't realise that he's actually playing someone who's got a, a mental condition they just think that he's a weirdo in it and it's it's baffling that they can't see the connections <laughs> and Fred Durst at one point just I mean it's cringeworthy what he does he has a part where uh, the other the other lead character in the film is Devin Sawa I think that's how you say his name, who you'll recognise as Stan from the Eminem music video and in Final Destination 1. But he, uh, he's driving with his son and, I can't remember what song, is it Roland? Some Limp Bizkit tune comes on the radio and he's there nodding his head going, oh, I fucking love this song and he turns up the volume on it and there's about 30 seconds of them driving listening to Limp Bizkit. It's the most fucking wanky thing I've ever seen. But it did give me a laugh at the same time as, as much as it made me cringe. So, the film has a million and one problems with it, but it's actually, it's not bad. There's some good stuff in it. There's The, the last half hour is actually fairly compelling. It's it's done well. It's sort of a tragedy comedy. Well, it's not a comedy. There's some funny bits in it, but it, it's kind of, they're intentionally funny bits. The parts that people were laughing at are the parts that aren't meant to be funny. And the parts that were funny, people weren't laughing at, which is just, it's annoying. But the reason I bring this film up is, anyone out there who defended this film in any way was looked at like a moron and the same goes for anyone who went against joker it's like you're only allowed to have one or two opinions in the film world at this stage you either have everything has to be fucking amazing it has to be a five-star masterpiece or it has to be the worst fucking thing ever so you can do a thousand articles shitting all over it there's movies out there that are not great to be honest there's there's some not great movies out there that for the sake of clicks and the sake of people writing shitty fucking articles they're being made out to be the worst movies of the last 20 years and everyone shits on them and everyone just looks for every minute little fucking thing to complain about and say that it is the worst thing ever and it wrecks my fucking head people don't allow themselves to just have good movies anymore middle movies movies that are yeah that was pretty good i'd watch it again or "Eh, it wasn't great but it wasn't terrible those opinions are just invalid now in the movie world and if you're to <coughs> go against the amazing or terrible uh, barrier that's been set for these things, you're suddenly an idiot. It's like, oh well, I can't, I can't give my opinion on this movie that I didn't really like. Like I now I haven't seen it yet. I do plan on watching it, but something like Little Women, which is just critically lauded everywhere. If someone's to come out with a bad article about that, saying, oh, I, I didn't really like it that much, they're looked at like they're morons and they don't understand movies whatsoever. And vice versa, if some fucking stupid comedy comes out, some really just jizz and farts fucking crude sex comedy comes out 
if you fucking say that that's an, a great film or you really enjoyed it, you're just looked at as, oh, you don't understand movies and blah, blah. There's no winning with these fucking people. So the way I see it is, if you're going to review films or you're going to watch films, just watch whatever appeals to you. Don't go by whatever fucking cinema score rating is out there. Don't go by everyone's critically lauding this film, therefore it is the best film ever, or and vice versa, this is the worst film ever because everyone's saying this. Go watch it yourself. Don't listen to these things. Don't even listen to me. <laughs> I just I only like doing this because I like... I mean, I have a lot of fun writing reviews. I like doing this. But my main thing is to get people watching good movies. That's all I want to do. I'm not out there to shit on things. If I don't like something, I'm going to say it. I'm just going to be honest about it. But my main goal is I want people to watch as many good films as possible. And I want to try to guide them in that direction. Now, it's based purely on my opinion. And I mentioned last week... Um, that I, I try cater to other people's opinions when I'm recommending stuff. If I know they're into a certain type of comedy, I'll try to guide them in that direction, even if I don't like it. That's the only job a film critic should really have, but it's become this ridiculous fucking... I, I can't even think of the words to describe it. It's just bullshit how they behave, and they rely heavily on IMDb. Like, reviews that come out now are based on what other people think. If you're going to review a film, you, it's like they're afraid to say what they think about it. They have to join the ranks of, oh, it has a crap rating line DB, I must give it a crap rating too. It baffles me. All I'm going to say is, is don't trust CinemaScore, don't trust, don't even trust fucking websites that write about CinemaScore and write about, oh, this has a fucking 0% Rotten Tomatoes or, well, this, actually, hang on, Lab Bible or another one, they did a fucking annoying thing recently. Which actually, I meant to talk about this last week, because uh, I mentioned it briefly at the start of the podcast, which is Stephen King's new adaptation on HBO for The Outsider. First two episodes absolutely blew me away as edge of the seat fucking Stephen King's own true detective is what it's like. And uh, actually, no, I suppose I did give a brief rundown on it, but I, I watched the third episode there last week and that was fantastic as well. And it, it introduced a character that apparently is a big part of Mr. Mercedes, the Brendan Gleeson show. Now, it's a different actresses playing the character, but I must actually get around to watching that too. It's meant to be fantastic. But it, it's apparently going in great directions now and I'm, I'm going to watch the next episode tonight. But those two episodes aired together. So there wasn't two weeks of it building up. It was two episodes in a row. And Lab Bible already came out with this fucking article saying something like, oh, th- this new show on HBO is the highest rated TV show in the world on, or like in all time, of all time, on IMDb. And I'm thinking, it's had two episodes. It's had a lot of positive feedback because there's only two episodes. Hasn't had time to actually expand. Look at Game of Thrones. Like the rate for that probably dropped after the last season. And then all these actors coming out pushing it. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad the show's getting a bit of a push because more people need to be watching it because it's that good. But this, it's such bullshit fucking nonsense to come out. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm, I'm losing my fucking vocabulary here because it's so irritating. Like it actually means anything. It's like some new show comes out with one episode. They go, oh, this, like, IMDb's top 250 changes every fucking day. There's stuff in there that if you, if you look around the 240 to 250 mark, there's about... 10 films that will always cycle through there stuff that I've seen in the top 250 going I don't remember that being there and then a week later it's gone it's always changing and every superhero movie that comes out every big movie that comes out will be in the top 250 at some stage for a while while it's popular you're hardly going to write a fucking thousand articles every every year about all these movies that appear in that briefly before they leave it's not important they have to stop writing about these things I, this is actually probably the most ranty fucking podcast I've ever done well, I mean, I suppose I've only done this is my second one, but even on the other podcast that I've appeared on, it's I 
I don't feel like I rant as hard as I do now. Then again, I had guests, or not guests, I, I was a guest. I had uh, co-hosts that were able to prevent me from going on these rants. But fucking hell, this whole thing really does my fucking head in. So if, if I could give you any bit of advice from all that is don't listen to anyone. Just watch things that look appealing to you. Don't go by what the ratings are. Don't look, even look them up. If a film looks interesting, go, I like the look of that. Watch it. And if it's shite, it's shite. And if it's great, then you've done yourself a great service. Because like subtitles and like what uh, Boon Jong Ho said, or probably said that wrong. I always get confused because I remember with Park Chan Wook's name, it was Chan Wook Park and Park Chan Wook. The way Korean names work is confusing sometimes. But he says that if people could overcome that, was it, one inch barrier or 10 centimeter barrier of subtitles, they'd open the world to amazing movies and they get to see more something along those lines that wasn't verbatim but i can say the same thing about this if people would just stop looking at reviews they could see movies that they could potentially love that they were scared off from by looking at stupid fucking cinema score ratings like that so that's my uh that's my advice for you today now something that i've always talked about in person with people well it would obviously be with people if it's in person wouldn't it but something i've always talked about and i've written little bits and pieces about is certificates with movies which mostly falls back to a nostalgic thing and the whole idea of if you don't want if you're not allowed to have something you want it even more and obviously growing up anytime i saw an 18 cert on a movie uh, particularly the, the the bbfc one which is just a dark red inviting horror looking fucking logo which basically just says you definitely it's like a stop sign you cannot go past this you're not allowed to have this and then being told I wasn't allowed to have it just made it a thousand times more alluring but there's there's something about it that every time uh, or since 2004 I think it was they've changed what that cert looks like and it's kind of a orangey ready kind of cert now and it just it lost that hard edge that I've always liked but I've noticed now there's a, a company that were bought over sort of by Arrow Video uh, they're called Third Window Films and they specialise in Asian cinema. And they have this box set. Uh, I think it's, it's a director's box set of, I think, three movies. But it's uh, Tsukamoto, I think is how you pronounce it. He's a, a Japanese director, I think, with three of his movies in it. And the box set has the this certificate that kind of looks like a new cert that they're kind of bringing out. And I say kind of, but they are bringing it out. And it looks like the one that shows before films in the cinema over here so this is really blank 18 in a red circle and it just looks i mean i'm glad it it looks better than the one they have now but it kind of just looks plain and i know this sounds kind of pointless but this is just part of it that came back to me now when i was about to mention the other thing but i hope they do rule that out but i think that it needs to just go back to the original one there's a horror film i have which is the only release by this company i can't remember what the company's called now uh the blu-ray's far away from me on the shelf here but they released this really great sort of half Jallo, half slasher movie called Stage Fright. It was uh, your man, uh, Michel Suavi. Suavi? I don't know how you say names. He's Italian. I'm not really good with names today. When they released this, they had the original 18 cert. It just looked like this really old classic like horror movie on Blu-ray with the kind of old cover with that cert. And it just it, it brings back the memories. I think all the 80s horror movies should have that cert because it just it captures the time and it, it makes it look a lot more uh forbidden and like that was just a whole other other thing and i wish they just brought that back instead of this new one which while it does look good it just looks weird it looks like it's been done in paint after five minutes but then again that could just be a test version that they're rolling out for uh 
the test covers that they're going to have. But the reason I bring this up is Arrow Video themselves have released a movie today called Edge of the Axe, which is this... It's a slasher movie. I think it's Spanish. But uh, it has a 15 cert on it. And I always just find that just kind of kills the anticipation for a slasher because the entire function of a slasher movie is... I mean, back in the day, they might have been scary. People cuddle up in the fucking cinema screaming. Like, that kind of shite that doesn't go on anymore. But slasher movies, the whole appeal of them is... They're pretty much special effects showreels with a plot loosely centred around them. Because all it is is really creative, gory ways to kill off annoying teenage characters. <coughs> and if a movie's going to be 15s, I feel like it's going to really skimp out on showing the best of those special effects and what they can do. Because, I mean, if it, if it, was, if it was not bad enough to be in 18s, then they've hardly really gone off the wall with what they're doing. And I just find it kind of disappointing when you see a film being released like that. Like, there's so many movies out there that have these movie covers that are so fucking visceral and, like, you're going to see the most intense, crazy horror. And it just has a 15 cert. And you're like, so you just know that they've... Not that they've held back, but it's just quite tame compared to what you'd expect. I mean, this is this is a very... I can't even call it... It's not even a first world problem. I don't know what you call this. It's a horror world problem. Where, I mean, you're going out to buy a slasher movie, you're going to want to see the craziest and the best special effects out there. And I feel like when it's when it's held back like that, you're, you're getting a, a bit less. Now, that's, I'm not saying that there's horror movies out there. Because they're 15s, they're no good. I'm just saying if you're going to do a slasher movie, it's such a niche market for those things that you, you want the best of the best. So I know as well, the, the film uh, uh, My Bloody Valentine... Is after getting a proper uncut release now in America with uh, True Screen Factory, and that in particular was just so highly sought after because I know that was 18s for years, despite being cut to shreds. And then it came out on DVD before the remake, uh, the 3D remake, which fucking hell. I remember those bits of it that were kind of cool, but fucking, why would you do a 3D remake of anything? Don't do 3D; it doesn't fucking work unless it's jackass. In in that case, do plenty of 3D. Because uh, dildos flying towards the camera in 3D is always going to be a lot more entertaining than a slightly grey fucking tinted image of characters from up a bit nearer to you. It doesn't work with other films as far as I'm concerned. Although Gravity did it quite well. And even What's-His-Face, fucking Mark Kermode even said Gravity did it well. But this My Bloody Valentine film was for years just had this awful fucking director's cut. Where all the deleted footage and gore that was just... Without that in the movie, it's near unwatchable. I got, I had the pleasure of seeing that in the cinema. Could have been last year or the year before, uh, through Grindhouse Dublin, and they had a great screening of it. And when you're watching the film, it, when it cuts to those scenes that aren't there, like it's almost unwatchable quality. But when I'm thinking about it, all those scenes are the the climax of each scene. If you have a character going into a room and they get killed by this mass killer. Pretty much every part of them being killed was removed. Like I don't know how that film was ever watchable without a director's cut. But because the, that footage was so deteriorated, it just ended up being shite. But they've the Screen Factory have now managed to source uh, an old negative of the film, and they've now got a 4K master, and it looks fucking amazing. But I'm wondering, because that's so much more violent, is it going to go from an 18s rating in England to a 15s rating, which it did when that remake came out, which I'm not sure whether it was uncut or not, but it was such bad quality you couldn't even fucking tell. 
But I wonder if that comes out here now, most likely through our video, or at least hopefully, are they going to bump that rating back up? Because, to be honest, the whole rating system is fucked. I, I, I'm not even. I probably won't get into this now because I, I, this is something I said I'd talk about with both my brother and the the lazy dads. Because I, I want to just talk about certificates and actually, no, I'm going to talk about it now because fuck it. There's nothing to stop me from doing it. The whole rating system, whether it be the BBFC, whether it be the MPAA, or whether it be the IFCO. Are all completely and utterly fucked. Now, that just that might just sound like I'm being bitter because I applied for a job in the IFCO and they rejected me uh, because my only experience is I watch more movies than you fuckers probably do, which might have rubbed them the wrong way. The whole system is completely flawed in all of them. Now, like, there are differences. Like the the IFCO one is just they pretty much follow what. The English version is going to be. I mean, we have a few extra ratings. We have the G, PG, 12A, 15A, 16, and 18. Now, they're the cinema ratings. When it comes to DVD and Blu-ray, it's just uh, G, PG, 12s, 15s, 18s. The 16s rating is effectively just their way of pushing movies that would probably get an 18s and give them an, giving them a 16 to get more of an audience in there. It's It's... It's really what the fucking BBFC should do instead of fucking cutting shit down. I'll get on to that now in a minute. I'll be here all fucking night. But the 16 rating is handy for getting audiences in. But I also think they, they probably do that for the sake of caution. Because uh, that movie Starred Up that came out a few years ago is fucking... It's a brilliant movie. Um, I think David McKenzie made it. And it's Jack O'Connell as and Ben Mendelton as well. And it's a really gritty, raw prison movie. Um, which is somewhat positive in a certain way because there's a lot of stuff focused on the therapy that they go to and things like that but the movie is just it's full of fucking really brutal violence nudity the language in it like the amount of times they say cunt in that film is more than most films that are probably released that year but and for some reason in with the BBFC they only allow you to say it a certain amount of times before it gets an 18 rating but they also mark it based on the aggression of it so if you have a character in a movie who says cunt five times but they say it in a friendly way, it's allowed in there. But you could have someone say cunt once and that's an 18 cert. That's how fucking ridiculous these rating systems are and how flawed they are. But that movie started up. They gave a 16s rating here and I'm pretty sure they did that because they wanted to give the amount of 16 year old people in this country who cause trouble and act the bollocks, they wanted to give them a slice of what life would be like if they continue acting the bollocks. I, I'm almost certain that's why they did it. But these ratings anyway. Like. When you compare it to the other countries. Like the stuff that could have a 16s here. That's an 18s in England. Most of the time is stuff that's a 15s over there. Something again like the Joker. How they mark these things is so awkward. I, like, I don't understand it. Like if you go by the, the R rating and the PG-13. The whole point of the PG-13 rating was to make PG films a lot harder. So there was movies that came out back in the 80s. Like, I think it was because of... Was it, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark? It was either that or Temple of Doom. Um, between that and Gremlins, they were movies that were intended for a PG audience that 
the parents and stuff were just like, look, this is too fucking scary or this is too bloody for a PG movie for my kids. So you need to sort it out. These should be R-rated movies. But of course, they don't have any swearing in them. They're not exactly gory or anything like that. So they didn't deserve an R-rating over there. Oh yeah, sorry. The rating system in America is weird as well. So you got, I think I think they have a G rating and then they have PG, then PG-13, R, and then NC-17. And I'll get into that in a few minutes. But the whole reason for this PG-13 was like, okay, we have these movies that we originally intended to be PG, but they might be a bit rough for that audience. So we're going to, we're going to move it a bit up. We're going to make this rating to PG-13 so we can have PG movies with a bit of edge. So it's a PG movie that might say fuck once or twice. It's a PG movie that might have a bit of blood in it. It might have some tits in it. So they had these edgy PG-13 movies. Nowadays, what it is, is an R-rated movie. So a movie that is intended for an adult audience. Not a parental guidance, parental guidance audience, but an adult audience. And what they're doing is they're going, oh, let's actually reduce the amount of swear words in this. Let's reduce the nudity. Let's reduce the blood and make it PG-13. So it's, it's being pulled back the wrong way. And all the censorship is the exact same as what's going on in the BBFC. Only theirs is 10 times more annoying. Because <clears throat> between a 15s and an 18s, they're both effectively the R rating in America. If something gets a 15s here and an 18s, or two different films, a 15s and 18s, they could both just be R rated in America. It's restricted. That's all it stands for. Yet... You have to make these slight differences here. Like something could be 18s because it's a, a bit more bloody or it has a lot more swearing or a lot more sex in it. And that pushes it above that 15s rating. But at the end of the day, they're both just adult rated movies. It, it should just be in a section that's called adult. Now, obviously, adult movies generally means porn now. But what they have for that in England is an R18 plus, I think is what it's called. And that's basically just to say that this rating. Oh, no, hang on. That could be the Australian one. I think it's all 18 in England as well. But they basically have that rating that just says, look, this is not a movie. This is just porn. So that's that's what replaced the X rating. And the X rating in America was replaced with the NC-17. Now, the NC-17 in America means no children under 17. Because I remember in this country, the, the fucking... It used to be that it was just 12 and 15s, but they brought out the 12 PG and 15 PG, which are now 12A and 15A. And the whole function of them was that it's a 12 movie, but if you're 12 and up, you can bring someone who's a bit younger. So you, you, you act as a guardian. And same with the 15. And then they introduced the 16 as a way of basically saying, this is a 15s movie, but you're, you can't bring any younger people to it. In America, the R rating is restricted to people under 17 unless they have a parent or guardian. So if you're 14, you can see an R rated film, but you have to go jail out or something like that. In the NC-17 case, this is a movie that's either so violent or so full of sex. It's usually real sex, I guess, that rating in America. It's a tough rating to actually get. Um, although Clerks, the Kevin Smith movie, got it because of the swearing in it, which, again, goes to show how fucking daft it all is. But movies that get that rating, they, they tend to be a lot more hard-edged and you're not allowed to go to. So that replaced the X rating because there was a lot of movies out back in the 60s and stuff like that like Midnight Cowboy which is actually the was it the first I think it was the first X-rated movie to win an Oscar so that goes again goes to show how these ratings mean nothing because they say nowadays that the NC-17 is a form of box office poison and if a movie gets that rating 
people are going out there going, oh, fuck, we have to cut this movie down. It's not going to get a proper wide release now. And it, it's insane to me. Like Kill Bill, for instance, got an NC-17 because of the gore in it. And they were just like, OK, we're going to have to cut this back. And there's a whole story Tarantino has spoken about on actually other podcasts about his method for pre- preventing the uh, the NC-17 rating from hitting him. But th- the fact that th- this is a problem over there, like that movie Shame that came out with uh, Michael Fassbender that Steve McQueen did. It's about a sex addict. So you can expect that the movie is going to be fairly raw with when it comes to sexual content in it, which there is a lot of, and it's fairly graphic. And they wore that the NC seventeen rating with pride, but everyone was going like, "Oh, that movie! It's your, your movie's fucked now. It's it's NC seventeen. It's not going to reach a huge audience." It's like, what people under seventeen do you want watching a film with graphic sex about sex addicts in the first place? Why should that matter? And it also makes movies illegible for the Academy. Or the Academy Awards. So you could have. I can't even think of a movie now. <laughs> like with the amount of movies that are out now for the Oscars. That you think they'd want to jump to mind. But let's say or, um, 1917. Say 1917 had a fucking NC-17 rating. Despite all the plaudits it has. Despite the fact that it's sweeping awards everywhere now. That wouldn't be eligible now for an Oscar. They'd be like oh no it's it has that rating. Therefore it doesn't have the commercial appeal. Therefore you're not going to get a fucking award for it. And it's absolutely ludicrous. Now I've kind of I've I've actually made <laughs> the mistake of bringing up all three rating systems at once, when really the the main one I want to talk about is the BBFC because the Irish one we just do what we're told. We're fucking ludicrous when it comes to ratings because if you look if if you have any physical media in your house and you look at the box you're gonna see. The Irish and the British, or the English CERT, or whatever the fuck it is, the British, uh, yeah, it's British Board of Film Classification. So you're going to see the British CERT and the Irish CERT on it, which means there's not going to be, we're not going to cut something in Ireland that's not going to be cut in England and get the both of them released on this disc, because it's going to be the English cut. It's always the English cut. They have control over it, as far as I'm concerned. If something comes to cinemas here that... I think Kingsman was an example I, I, I used before when talking about this because this is something I've talked about a million times because it drives me up the fucking wall. Kingsman, oh my god, this is a really fucking bitter, angry podcast compared to last week. Last week was all full of fucking hope and happiness and being delighted that I'm fucking getting to get this done and working with all these other people. I think I've actually spent the last 40 minutes whinging about fucking things. So... As soon as I'm done talking about this, I'm going to talk about more positive, fucking happy things. Because, Jesus Christ, this is easily the most bitter fucking podcast I've ever done. But they are important things that I feel like I need to say. So it's probably good that I'm getting all this bitterness out in uh, in one episode. Rather than every week people tuning in going, Jesus, this is fucking miserable. Trust me, next week will be a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, topics I want to talk about. I want to talk about best movies and things like that. So that'll be full of positivity. But... My point is, when Kingsman came out a few years ago, it was submitted and it was I think it was given an 18 or they assumed it was going to get an 18. So they said, here, we'll chop down a few frames and make it 15s and so that we can get a bigger audience. And I'm sitting there going, like, I know people, people get into the industry because they want to be an actor, but they also they want to make money. This is a career at the end of the day and they want to. They want to be comfortable in what they do. And that's why I think... That's why I love the likes of Daniel Radcliffe and Robert Pattinson and... 
uh, Elijah Wood and things like that. So they, they did these franchise movies very early in their career. That's what made their name. And they're comfortable for the rest of their lives so they can focus on the actual art that they're doing. And they have really uncompromised visions and they want to make sure that their movies are released the way they're supposed to be. They're not in a situation where they're just making movies as journeymen and expecting to bend over backwards to suit the the companies that are out there. They don't have to cut things. They don't have to worry about this and that. But these people do. So when that film was due to come out, they had to cut it down. And I know the scene. There's a, the church fight scene from Kingsman is insanely violent and fun but they've had to scale it back a bit just so they can get a 15s rating but it ended up getting a 15s rating anyway and it it drives me fucking crazy and the fact that it'll never be a situation where okay britain thinks this is too much for an 18 certificate they're going to cut it back to a 15 but over here we're going to get the uncut version because we don't mind a difference no we're going to get the versions that the english get or the British people are going to go mad over that. I just know they are going. It's not just the English. It's all of Britain. But we get the same ones they do. So it makes no fucking difference. And it's why the whole rating system is a farce. And I suppose some uh, Blu-rays also have the German rating on it too. Which could still be affected in the same thing. So the way I see it. We should have our own separate rating system. That is completely different to the British version. In that we don't even share the same certificate on the box. And I say that so that if there is something that comes out in Britain. Where it gets an NC7 or not an NC17. If it gets an 18 cert. And they decide well we're going to chop this back so we can have a 15 cert. That we get the 18s one. We just get the one that's completely uncompromised. We should have our own version of it. But when it's when we're just following what they do. It's like when I see an article. This, this kind of shit. If people go out there complaining about movie piracy. This is one of the biggest reasons why. In America you'll have a film come out. Which in fairness despite the fact that their whole rating system is fucked too. And they do sometimes cut stuff. They're quite good with it. If they're going to release stuff uncut. Then why would anyone want the one that's going to be over here and in England. If the Blu-ray comes out in America and it's uncut. And this is another problem with region locking. Another reason for uh, for piracy online is because. If the only available version is an uncut American copy and you don't have a multi-region player because they're so fucking hard to get your hands on cheap, then of course people are going to fucking start downloading them. They should just remove any of this region locking and make it available to everyone so that you don't get fucking gypped on a a good version of the film that's not going to be compromised for cinemas. But if we just had our own rating system ignored all this bullshit ignored all this bbfc stuff and we could have our own version of it uncut there'd be so many less chances of people not only downloading but actually avoiding the cinema now people i avoid the cinema if that's going to be the case because if i see an article pop up that says oh such and such a movie has been cut down from an 18 to a 15 i'm not going to go to the cinema and watch it i'm not going to watch a version of the film that's not proper I'm going to wait until it's available on Blu-ray. Because a lot of the time they tend to come out uncut. And then I'm going to watch them there. So they've already hurt their box office. Well, at least by one person. Although I, kn- I know people who are the same. Who won't see things that are cut. Just. Re- oh god. Just release the film uncut. Especially when I mentioned earlier on. About how the 18s and the 15s. Aren't all that different. A, a big example was the Equalizer. That came out. Now that film is a piece of shit. But. There's action scenes in that. That they pretty much take place in pitch black anyway. 
But they go on. They have to cut out half a second of violence. Half a second is all it takes to get an 18s above a 15. The way I see it, they should just go, right, let's release it uncut as a 15s and hope that people aren't too traumatised by that half a second. It's the most nitpicky shit ever. If we could just have movies rated correctly, it would work so much better. If you could have it where... There probably only need to be three actual ratings. You have children's, which would probably... You could categorise into PG as well, because like, I'd have something like The Goonies as a children's film. Even though, for years, it was 15s. Although, I think it's 12s now, which, as far as I can say, there's still too fucking high a rating for that film. That film should be enjoyed by kids everywhere. But if they could just have three ratings, if you had children's which would cover basically all the disney and pixar stuff you have teenager which would be somewhere between 12 15s and even some 18s movies like there's some 18s movies that aren't like tango and cash i love tango and cash it is probably one of the best buddy cop movies out there if not the best like uh, like we neck and neck would lead the weapon i think because it's just thoroughly enjoyable that film is still 18s even though most of the violence in that was because of the time stuff used to get cut all the time back in the, the late 80s and early 90s and things like that a lot of it would be headbutts and fucking uh, slaps to the head and shit like that it, it's not that violent a movie it has some swearing in it it's mostly good natured and lots of fun yet it's still an 18s movie that is a movie i would include in this teens rating most fun action movies would be in this teens rating. You even think of Terminator and Predator. They'd be in this teens rating. Because me and virtually everyone I know has grown up watching those movies from these ages. There's such escapism that you'll never really think that it's real. You'll never watch Predator and think it's real. You'll just be excited to see like, oh, are they going to get away from this alien? It's exciting and fun and I don't think deserves to be have the same certificate as something like the girl with the dragon tattoo which is brutally violent grim realistic and has rape and torture and all kinds of shit in it that technically has the same rating as tango and cash how fucking nuts is that so i think you had this teen rating which covers mostly 12 and 15s but probably has the odd 18s movie an undeserved uh, 18s rating is what i mean and then you have adult and the adult rating covers the really fucking raw stuff. Like the really brutal horror movies. The really dark gritty fucking Ray Winston dramas from the 90s. Like Nail by Mouth and shit like that. And just anything that's just way too raw. And it, it doesn't even have to be in terms of extremity. And in terms of the viciousness. You could just have really serious adult dramas. Actually no, I'm going to take that back. Because I think it undermines the other movies that way but i just think it, it should be based on that content because i think like the whole system of uh 12s movies you can say the word fuck up to two times in that before it becomes a 15th so you can have a character in a 12s movie say fuck and then 10 minutes later say it again but if they say it a third time that's a 15th rating that that movie that is effectively for a little teenager or more or less a kid is now in the same leagues as i can't even think fucking speed <laughs> an action movie which has loads of f-words in it and violence and things like that the whole system is bollocksed it should be entirely based on context it should be entirely based on tone and 
like there's so many movies out there that probably have tons of f-words which are grand for someone who's about 12 hearing the f-word once isn't gonna fucking be any worse than hearing it five times for the person and if you have a decent parent like i know parents who they watch these movies with kids who are as young as five but they talk about it afterwards with them they say like oh what did you think of that and they they really get into detail about it and the kid understands it then they understand the context and the tone they wouldn't go showing them the fucking hard stuff but they show them fun stuff they might show them action movies or some horror movies and give them a flavour for this stuff and get them into it and I'd love for more fucking people to do that but they think oh that kid has seen a 12's movie when he's only 7 we're bad parents they shouldn't see Jaws at this age it's fucking craziness people know their own kids they know what they can show and what they can't but I think when it comes to certification, every country is just so fucking backwards with it. There should be three sections, and that's it. And that way, you know that if a film is coming out, if it's a bit too violent, you can be like, well, it could still fit in this teen rating, and we'll throw it in there. Or if it's a bit too gritty, like something like The Equalizer, is a bit more raw and gritty than something like Commando. So yeah, I can understand having that in the adult rating. But that's who your audience is then. Your audience is split up into three parts. You've got your kids, your teenagers and your adults. If you start complicating things with these sort of mid-range ratings. Between 12 and 18. Like it's fucking crazy. And I remember I talked about this with friends before. Uh, particularly with the wire box set. And how that works. Is <clears throat> now obviously they came out at different stages. And they rate them according to each disc. And like it is a separate system how it works with the BBFC. But the wire box set, the first season of it is 18s, season 2, 3 and 5 are 15s, and season 4 is 18s. So by law, if someone has that box set, they're only allowed to, and they're under 18, they're only allowed to watch season 2, 3 and 5. But season 1 and 4, no, you can't watch it. It's just crazy. If I think if the first season of a series is going to be 18s, the whole thing should just be considered that from now on. Rather than dividing it up. Because it is just... Oh god, I'm actually I'm kind of losing my train of thought because there's uh, about a thousand examples and things I've talked about before that bother me to no end that I'm just rehashing now in my own head <laughs> and trying to get all out at once here. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this segment up because I've talked about this too long. Like like I said, this has been such a bitter ranty fucking episode, and I feel like I, I might have repeated myself a lot. I tend to do that anyway, but when I'm trying to get myself back on track and and understand what i'm saying i'm probably going in circles my main point is we should abolish the bbfc the ifco and the mpaa and just have a really simple this movie is for adults like it's gonna be a fucking hard 18 style kind of movie this is for teenagers they can enjoy it anyone can enjoy it they you can understand the context and this is for kids so like think about it that movie inside out one of the most delightful fucking friendly family movies i've ever seen which is actually has a really good way of explaining the depression and sadness to kids and how to overcome it and how you can accept it and balance your life with it that gets a pg rating it's like like there's action movies out there which have a lot more peril and stuff like that that are pg and g that kids can see whereas this movie about colorful characters and good messages dancing around in a little girl's head is on that same rating. It it that should be G. It should be G. And I think all the Pixar movies should be G. All the Toy Stories, which they are G. Uh, 
it's just too complicated. My my head is about to burst into flames here the more I think about it. So my point is is abolish all them and stop cutting movies. That's all I could have said. I could have saved myself thirty five minutes or something like that uh, by just saying let's abolish movie ratings. But instead, I went on a tirade. But if you if you've actually stuck this out, thanks very much. Because fucking hell, I'd be sick of myself at this point. But I'm gonna move on, and I've decided I'm gonna actually just do some reviews. Because since seeing Uncut Gems last week, which I have not stopped fucking thinking about it, it's that good. It's just, it's, and I'm, I actually want to revisit Good Time now, because I have the Safdie Brothers sort of movies in my head now, and I want to see Daddy Longlegs. But good news is that they've actually extended Uncut Gems in the cinema, so it's it's still in the IFI, it's still in the Lighthouse, and it's going to be there until Thursday, because obviously Friday it comes out on Netflix, and I mean they did the same with the. Uh, I heard you paint houses, which is what I'm going to be calling the Irishman, uh, because that's what it's called. That was the original title. They only called it the Irishman because it's easily marketable. But the movie opens with I heard you paint houses, so that's the name of the fucking movie. So that originally showed in the light or in the the IFI pretty much up until it went on Netflix, and they're obviously doing the same with this now. And I'm glad because it's in the cinema. It's a whole fucking different experience, and I would recommend it so highly if you can get to it. But if you can, obviously, just watch it on Netflix. Make that your Friday night plans. It's, it's fucking better than going out in the town. But since then, I've watched... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies. Uh, two of which... Or three of which are new. And the rest are just kind of old movies I wanted to either visit or revisit. So I'll start off with some of the new ones. One of them is actually another Safety Brothers movie. Uh, it's only seven... I think seven minutes long. About that. And it's a short film that they did with Adam Sandler so they obviously shot this around the same time that they were making Uncut Gems and this is a really bizarre film very clearly done with guerrilla filmmaking and they just thought here look we have some fucking time we'll we'll shoot this they probably did this between scenes but it has no actual connection to Uncut Gems in any way it's very much its own little short film and it's bizarre and it's called Goldman v Silverman and Adam Sandler plays one of these street performers that you see walking around New York bothering the shit out of people as far as I'm concerned. I've never fucking enjoyed street performers. They're just... It's fucking lame. I know people have to make their own money and whatever, but it's just... I, I just find it bothersome. But he plays this gold... You could call him a robot, I'm not sure. But he he has this weird half fucking Phantom of the Opera mask on. He's painted entirely in gold. All his clothes are gold. And he has this strange kazoo thing in his mouth. And he pretends to be a robot. And Benny Safdie. Uh, one of the directors. Comes along in a sort of robot suit. Painted silver. And he also has his own little kazoo. And they are uh, warring against each other. <laughs> in the streets. Trying to uh, gain a crowd with their street performances. And I enjoyed watching it, but I kind of feel like that would make a really good half-hour short. Like, I, w- I wouldn't watch a whole movie of that. I think it would get tiresome. But seven minutes, I feel like they didn't really get to expand on it. It just it just feels like a scene from this little short that they're... Or fr- from a, a bigger movie they could have done. It is enjoyable. It is kind of fun. But I, I, I feel like it was kind of lacking in what would have been... What could have been a better short. Um, and the other short film was released on... I don't think it was Friday, was it? Whatever day David Lynch's birthday was last week. Because David Lynch, one of my fucking cinematic heroes, decided for his birthday he would treat everyone to 
one of the most bizarre short films I've ever seen. He released it directly to Netflix and it gives me a glimmer of hope that Netflix will just fucking force feed him money to do whatever he wants because Showtime very uh, diligently is not the word. I always do this. Um, Let me put it this way. I'm very proud of Showtime for having the balls to just say, here, look, you can do season three of Twin Peaks. Here's all the money. Do whatever the fuck you want. And he did whatever the fuck he wanted. Like, this was as uncompromising a vision as he can get. And there were some hiccups at the start, but he he overcame that and was like, yeah, this is how it's going to go. And they were like, okay. So he's one of the, the few directors out there who can do whatever he wants. And I love his approach to filmmaking as well. Like, he, he considers... Consider? That's fucking two podcasts now where I've had a hard TH to describe a word that was probably with a d i don't know i've been talking for so long now and it's been so bitter i'm trying to trying to regain all the the happy parts but he uh he considers all his movies just scenes that he's come up with he just thinks of an idea which is a scene he never really has a a narrative or a plot and he just puts it all together loosely in some way and that's why all his movies are so bizarre and dreamlike but it's i mean it's as unique as you can get people people try to do their own little uh like piss take of what his movies are like where they're like oh let's be weird for the sake of it but he I don't even think he says to himself I want to just be weird and I want to do this I think he comes up with an idea and goes oh that's unusual let's do that he whatever comes to his head he goes for and it's he makes a flow rather than how can I make this weirder so that, that that's what I appreciate about him there's, there's no one out there like him uh, but for this he decided to release a movie where it's like a strange film noir on a train which it looks like it's in the 40s or something it's meant to be it's in black and white and it's him interrogating a small monkey kind of like marcel from friends it's one of them monkeys i don't know what kind of monkey there but the the monkey has a little mouth uh, superimposed over it which i'm pretty sure is david lynch's mouth talking back at him because it sounds like his voice but it's sort of distorted and it's this big interrogation about chickens and i <laughs> i my brain was just so fried after watching it. I was like, I, I'm going to have to watch it again. Because I was just sitting there going, this is so bizarre. Like, this feels like even too bizarre for Inland Empire, which was just a whole fucking different level of bizarre. Uh, but it was also really funny. It's just, it's it's a hard one to even review because I, I, don't, I have no fucking clue what was going on in it. I just know that it was enjoyable and strange and hopeful that uh, Netflix will just give a trough full of fucking money for him to dive into so i would recommend both of them but they're 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 strange ones to recommend i think anyone who fucking sees adam sandler and the safties goes, oh this is going to be another intense thrill ride it's like no it's going to be a really strange awkward fly on the wall interaction and i think oh by the way it's called what did jack do is the name of the the david fin- or david lynch one hang on was i calling him david fincher the whole time there I hope it wasn't. I maybe it wasn't. <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen back to that. But David Lynch, anyway. Uh, although Fincher is great too. Um, but with that, that one, that would probably be a, almost evidence for people who are against David Lynch, saying like, "Oh, he just does things weird for weird sake." They'd watch that and go, "See," and it's like, "Yeah, you kind of have a point." But only in that case. But it is worth watching. It's very strange. As well as that, I caught up on some movies I had been meaning to see. 
uh, and I rewatched one that I loved growing up, and I still know it like the back of my hand. It was weird. It's it, there's some movies like that when you throw them on after so many years, you still remember fucking every single beat. And this one was Walter Hill's Forty Eight Hours. Now I've been watching a lot of Walter Hill lately, just catching up with him, and I've, I've over the last couple of years I've been just revisiting a lot of his stuff and catching up on stuff I've wanted to see, and I have a whole fucking plethora of shit that he's released that I haven't seen yet that I'm dying to give a watch because. In a weird way, he's because I, I had a discussion uh, some stage last year with my brother. We were talking about directors who have had five consistently brilliant movies in a row, and there's very few of them. Now, personally, for me, I think the likes of Tarantino. But if you if you split up the two Kill Bills, that's the case. If you don't, then you have Inglorious or what's it called? Um, you have Death Proof as his fifth movie, which I do like, but they're not. It's not excellent. I don't love it. But Walter Hill is a director that from the 70s up until probably the 90s, he just had hit after hit and fucking great movies. Some I haven't seen, some that I just know are highly regarded, but he's just had such a consistently great career, especially with action. He just knows how to do tough fucking action movies, which are thoroughly enjoyable. And 48 Hours is no different. It's really, really fucking funny. It's, um, as well as action packed. And it's Nick Nolte is a kind of hard-edged, tough cop who is tracking down this uh escaped convict who has killed some cops and done some bad shit and the escaped convict is played by james ramar um who so people nowadays are probably recognized more as someone who appears in tarantino films and someone who played dexter's dad in oh, in the dexter tv series I, I i'm not even going to get into dexter because fucking hell that just hurts my head thinking about it. it's it's like watching a loved one die that show it's it's just it starts so strong and just gets weaker and weaker until it's fucked but he's uh well also worked with walter hill who directed the warriors which spawned probably one of probably defied all odds by becoming one of the best video games out there which was an adaptation of an obscure 70s action movie like how the fuck did that game work i can't believe it did but it really did and the Warriors is another one that the, the only Blu-ray available is that director's cut, which I don't know what the fuck he's thinking. He kind of based it on this old Roman mythology or some shit, and it has these weird comic book inserts that don't suit the movie at all. And I, I just want the regular version. I want a good special edition with the regular version of that movie. Have that as an extra if needs be. But, but James Amar is also in The Warriors. Um, so obviously he was a go-to actor for him for a while. But uh, himself and uh, Billy from Predator, because I've completely forgotten his fucking name now, which it will come back to me. Wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm sitting in front of a fucking computer. I can just find all these things out immediately. Although I do like remembering stuff, but I'm when I'm on a time limit, I don't. In generally in life, if I, if I can't think of something, I'll sit there for... It could be up to... I remember before... <laughs> I'm really going off topic here, but I was watching something and the sopranos came into my head and the character of adriana and i couldn't think of that name for a whole 45 minutes i sat there while my friend was watching tv and i just was pinching the bridge of my nose sitting there replaying almost the entire series in my head trying to wait for when someone calls her by name until it eventually clicked me and it was like a fucking 10 ton weight off my back but obviously I'm not going to sit here for 45 minutes in dead silence and let you just hear me going, no, no, it's not that. So, uh, Sonny Lanham is the the guy who plays Billy and 
he's also in this and unfortunately he died only a few years ago but himself and James Lamar are pretty much on a killing spree going off trying to collect money from when they were uh, not in prison or yeah he's a James Lamar is an escape prisoner so Nick Nolte tough hard edged cop who is in bad with his boss um, which usually the 80s was great for that of having a a black mustachioed police captain roaring at uh, maverick cops calling them loose cannons but calling them the best at the same time so he's in bad with him and it's just Nick Nolte being Nick Nolte basically it's almost a documentary on Nick Nolte's life hockey and drinking to himself and whatnot. but he decides to track down Eddie Murphy who's uh, in prison and had ties to James Amar and says okay I'm going to let you out of prison for 48 hours while we go track down this guy and that's effectively the plot and it's in a sense, it's not a buddy cop movie, but it's a buddy movie that involves a cop and a criminal. And it had a really good balance of comedy and grit and action. Like there's some gritty moments in it. The action scenes are done really well and they're quite bloody and vicious at times. But it's also there's some really funny banter between the characters. And it was actually written by or was kind of beefed up writing wise by that guy. His name's gone. Or Stephen E. De Souza, however the fuck you say that, and Jeb Stewart. The two of those were behind Die Hard as well, and they probably interjected a lot of the kind of comedy parts that were in Die Hard to give a bit of levity to what's going on, because otherwise they'd just be two fairly gritty, grim movies. Um, but yeah, that's that's effectively the main plot, and having not seen it for many years, expecting to forget big chunks of it or maybe not even to like it as much as I did I still liked it as much as I did it's tremendously good fun really well written really well acted it's just fun and Walter Hill's direction and action is just so strong which kind of makes the next one I'm going to talk about a bit more disappointing because I watched another 48 hours which was a sequel they did was it eight years nine years later something like that and I had always wanted to see it never gotten around to it and I decided, you know, I'm gonna finally gonna sit down and watch it now. And I can see why it was such a failure. Um, I think it actually made money, but in terms of how people enjoyed the movie, I think it was a failure. Uh, it was initially meant to be two and a half hours long, and they chopped it down to ninety six minutes or something like that. So that's a fuckload of time to cut out of a movie. And there's just there's a, there's so many different plot lines going on throughout it that you can tell are gone because the way it wraps itself up is so messy and it just cheapens the movie it just makes it look like a crap fucking murder of the week kind of twist and it just it really hurts the movie all the comedy is shite in it i don't think i actually laughed once throughout this movie whereas i laugh a lot throughout 48 hours so that, that's an example of how strong the writing is on that but with this one just it feels really messy and like the action's pretty good. Some of the action scenes are really fucking well done. They're really strong. And I think by having it chopped out so much, I think they might have cut out not only vital plot lines, but I think they cut a lot of the comedy out. It just it didn't feel the same. And plus how the characters are joined together against both Eddie Murphy and Ignaldi again. How they come together in this is just I think it kind of shits on the first film. Uh and the way that ends. I th- I think as enjoyable as some of the action is, as far as I'm concerned, it's non-canon. I wouldn't, I wouldn't include it as the official canon of the movie. So I think the 48 Hours should just be considered a standalone movie, uh, and it's tremendous. I fucking highly recommend that. 
Um, especially if you haven't seen it. And especially if you're want, planning on getting into Walter Hill stuff because it's not a bad place to start, but you could actually start from the start and just work your way up through his whole collection because you're just in for a fucking treat all the time. Or all the way through. And next then, uh, well not next, I'm actually kind of reading these out of order that I watched them. I'm just, I'm looking at my Letterboxd page here. Which yeah, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Letterboxd at the end of this. Because I remember saying last week I'd go a bit more in depth about what they do. So I'm actually going to have a, I'm going to go through it a bit properly then. Um, But I had a movie that uh, Joe O'Donoghue from Lazy Dad's Guide to Movies. Check that podcast out. Uh, I mean I gave it a hell of a plug last week. But that that's, that's all you're getting this week. He gave me a lend to this movie that I'd heard about before. I heard a lot of people saying that it wasn't great. And I thought, it's a really unique idea. And he just had the blue and said, here, look, take a lend to that. Give it a watch. See what you think. And it's a, a mo- horror movie called The Dead. Yeah, not to be confused with the John Huston movie. I'd say anyone who is a big horror fan and lined up to watch that and accidentally went to a, a classic screening of the John Huston fucking Dublin set, happy-go-lucky fucking Christmas drama isn't going to be as uh, happy about it. Uh, but this film, it's set, it's set in South Africa, which is an unusual location for a horror movie, so I thought that this is quite interesting. And it's about a mechanical engineer on a military flight just after a whole virus has broken out and turned people into zombies. And his plane crashes and he's stuck in Africa and has to trek from pretty much one half of the country to the other to try to get out of there. And he does this with the help of... Uh, a soldier that he finds there too from Africa and it's a really unique idea it's a really unique setting and some of the special effects in it look really really good but then some of them look awful like unforgivably bad and I think now the smart thing about this movie was I'm not sure how they managed to do it but they shot this on 35mm uh, or it could be 16mm they shot it on film either way but it looks really nice uh, I think had this been shot on digital, it would have just looked cheap and fucking horrible. So I think shooting it on film hid a lot of the cheapness of it because it is a micro-budget movie. But the actual plot and what's going on, it feels like a 20-minute short that they painstakingly dragged out to nearly an hour 50 minutes or an hour 45 minutes. It's ambitious, it's somewhat unique, but it is unbelievably fucking boring and the acting is terrible the main guy in it really hams up his fucking dialogue i was actually so much more interested in the soldier character i would rather have followed him for the whole movie but this one just it seems really aimless really uninteresting i i i think the location is the big selling point for this because all the stuff involving that was the best the zombies in it are slower than uh george a romero's zombies and they feel like less of a threat. Like, and I don't know. I think with a modern zombie movie, like when you when you show how ravenous and vicious zombies are nowadays, having them really slowly bite someone and taking huge pieces of flesh off them just comes off as daft now. Like back in the day, it was a different story. But seeing it now, I just think to myself, like you could have done that so much better, so much more realistically. I can't really recommend it. I didn't think it was great. I think. It's something unique, it's something different, but it's it's not all that interesting, uh, unfortunately. Uh, there was a sequel though, so it was a bit of a hit. Like it was a, it did really well at a lot of festivals. I think it showed all over the world, and it, it did really well. But it just it wasn't for me. But the second movie is set in India, and I think I think that's become a bit of a gimmick at this stage is to set it in countries that you don't expect to see zombie movies in. 
and I, I don't know if I'm all that pushed to see the second one. I might watch it anyway just to see what I think about it. It could be an improvement, but that one didn't do much for me. What's left? Oh, finally. Uh, another movie I'd been meaning to see for fucking years because Catherine Bigelow is... First of all, I couldn't believe that she's in her 70s now. I, for some reason, I just had it in my head she's always 45. But then again, she's been making movies since the early 80s, so it does actually make perfect sense. But her first feature movie was called The Loveless. And it was actually co-directed by the guy who's with her. I can't remember his name. Let me just check it, because I, I don't really know who he is, so I can't sit here thinking about it for 45 minutes. But his name is Monty Montgomery. And I was looking at him thinking, why the fuck do I know who this guy is? It's driving me crazy. And it turns out he plays the cowboy in David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Who is an unforgettable and very unusual looking lad. Uh, but she makes this movie with Willem Dafoe. And it's set in, I think, the late 50s or very, very early 60s. It kind of has that real greasers look to it. Actually, no, I think it is mid-50s. It's just full of old doo-wop and stuff like that. And he plays like a tough guy, biker, kind of piece of shit, teenager guy. And immediately I was sold because Catherine Bigelow is just her... The way she directs movies is fucking like no other. Like the action movies she does are top class. She did Near Dark. She did Point Break. Like Point Break to me is one of the fucking all-time greatest action movies out there. Um, Which doesn't get... I mean, it gets attention, but it needs more attention. That movie is fucking superb. And I had, had the pleasure of seeing a 35 mil print of that. And obviously she did The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, so she knows what she's doing. So I expected this was going to be tough biker movie. And it, it technically is, but it's it's just really awkward. So, I can't even call it a drama. It is a drama, but there's, there's so much going on in it that feels pointless and feels like it's going to build something and it doesn't. Like, Willem Dafoe plays this young biker. He shows up in this small little town. Like, this small suburban southern town. And he's waiting there for his biker friends to arrive. So that they can head on to this big biker meetup thing in a different... I think it's in Daytona or something. Biker races. And it's just about them hanging around bars. Hanging around little cafes. And getting introductions to the people of the town. And a concept like that, I think, is brilliant. Like, I think it could go somewhere really well. Like, now, it didn't take long for me to realise this wasn't going to be a gritty crime movie. So I kind of adjusted myself to what the plot is. But it was kind of a nothing movie. I feel like nothing actually really went on in this film. Other than them driving around for a bit. And fixing up their bikes. And having conversations with people who are just annoying. It just... It's a really awkward fucking movie. And it... It almost feels like it would pair well with uh, Repo Man. But Repo Man is actually really funny and really strange. This kind of just feels like Repo Man without any of the oddity and without any of the comedy. So, I don't know. It just it it didn't really do it for me. I, I wouldn't be quick to recommend it. But Arrow have uh, released a lovely looking special edition in America. And I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't come here yet. Because I just saw a basic version of it. But, I don't know. I think... Catherine Bigelow's name I mean it is a debut film I suppose I can't hold it against her too much but I, ex- I expected more from it whether it be drama whether it be crime whether it be action I expected a bit more from it Willem Dafoe is the saving grace of the movie though I could watch him fucking read the phone book he's just one of the most interesting and unique actors out there and 
he kept me interested the whole time. Uh, I think the other guy who's in it is, I think he's a, a musician of some sort. Robert Gordon, it could be. I think he's a musician, and it was just one of those movies where it's like, oh, let's get a musician in the role and boost his career. He'll he'll eventually move off into movies, and it didn't seem to happen. So yeah, I think the whole controversy of this movie at the time is the same way the biker movies from the 50s would have been where it showed rebellious youth and people didn't know what to do with themselves seeing it. it's like oh this is going to affect our children it's like they had that same mentality making this but it just wasn't as effective so that's everything i've watched that is new or short but i finally got around to seeing jojo rabbit now i mentioned it last week just as an example uh i can't even really remember what the fuck i was talking about but i've actually gotten around to seeing it now i got to go to the cinema last week finally uh and this week i plan on seeing a good few films. actually i'm just gonna quickly just <laughs> make a note of the fucking films i'm gonna see this week because there's so many of them because i haven't been to the cinema properly all year really uh i want to see terence malick's new one a hidden life now i've mentioned before how malick is a bit hard called at me like a lot of the time i find it his movies a bit pointless like song to song i thought was just a collection of people wandering around whispering loving things to each other that actually don't make any sense or mean anything and he just edited it into two hours and 20 minutes of shite uh but i think a hidden life is a bit more narrative heavy which i'm happy to see but because i mean his movies visually and atmosphere wise are amazing but they're just they can be painful experiences and not in a good way but this is a three-hour world war ii set drama and i think that could work pretty well so i'm hoping i'll get a good experience with that Bad Boys for Life is another one I want to see. Uh, I had I was due to go to the premiere that I ended up not going, and I was a bit apprehensive about it in the first place because I think I mentioned last week as well that Bad Boys One upon a rewatch was a massive disappointment. It really just didn't fucking work for me at all. Um, and I haven't watched Bad Boys Two since. I might actually rewatch that tonight because I'm planning on going tomorrow and seeing what I think about it on a rewatch. But I just I remember it being a sort of headache inducing. But this one is a different director, which I didn't realise at the time. I actually thought Michael Bay was back to do this one. And apparently it's a lot more solid. Now, I actually like Michael Bay too. Um, but apparently it's a lot more solid in the action direction. And the comedy is much stronger. So I'm quite excited to see what it's like. There's also Bombshell, which I don't know a lot about. Um, I just know that I like everyone involved in it. So I'm going to give that a go. Uh, I'm going to the unlimited screening of Greed tomorrow, which is the new one directed by michael winterbottom uh who seems to be he's been teaming up with steve coogan a lot now and he had, seems to do great stuff with him so i'm excited to see that and david mitchell's in it too and it, it looks like the kind of movie that'll just be awkward and fun I, li- I like awkward comedy especially when those two are involved i still haven't seen jumanji next level but i also haven't seen the first welcome to jumanji whatever the fuck it's called so i can't really force myself to see that yet uh just mercy looks like the most oscar baity fucking movie ever made but it actually looks not too bad because i like everyone involved in it so i want to see that uh i'm glad to see knives out still in the cinema because that, that, that was fucking brilliant i still have to see little women so i'm gonna try to see that i have to see the gentleman which i've been meaning to see for a while now as well i'm, I'm glad to see guy Ritchie sort of going back to his roots because i mean lock stock and snatch are bars he set for himself that he has not surpassed at all uh I do want to give Revol- Revolver a watch. I've been avoiding it because I know there's a director's cut and I could never get my hands on it. So, but I heard it's a bit of a fucking art house mess at the same time. Like it's like he half wants to make it an art house movie, half wants to make another snatch, and it 
all accumulates in a pile of shite. So I do want to see it for myself and see what I think. But since that, and Rock and Roll I actually quite enjoy too, but since that he's sort of just done really explosive Hollywood blockbuster types, some of which look like shite. So to see him go back doing his, or Guy Ritchie when I say who I'm talking about, to see him go back doing his lock stock and snatch roots is uh, very appealing. Plus I like everyone in the cast. Uh, I do want to see The Grudge as well. And this is another example. It's 18s over here and it's fucking 15s in England. And I, I don't have much interest in seeing The Turning, but here's another example. It's 16s here, which means it's worse than a 15s, not quite an 18s. It's 15s in England and it's PG-13 in America. The logic is... F- I'm, not, I'm not getting into this shit again. And finally, Waves, which uh, I don't know a lot about, but I've it just everything about it looks really appealing. <laughs> the the little I do know about it. So it, it looks like a sort of tough drama. That's all I seem to know about it. But it's highly regarded. People I know who have seen it have said it's excellent. So that's my plan for next while. Oh, and by the way, fucking Lost Boys has come back with a 4K restoration of the cinema. I only rewatched that there for the first time in over a decade. And that's one quite like 48 hours that I just remembered every single beat of as I was watching it. So I'll uh, I'll probably see that again in 4K if I can because that'd be great. So I have a bit... Oh, hang on. Yeah, the personal history of David Copperfield as well. It's Armando Inucci is uh, his new movie, so that immediately has me sold. It looks a bit naff, but... Uh, and it'd be weird to see him cut himself down to a PG rating because his stuff tends to be a bit sweary, especially if you look at the thick of it and uh, the death of Stalin. But he also has a new series that came out. Oh, I should probably get into these as well. Yeah, so he has a new series that came out on Netflix there called Avenue 5. And... I don't know. It didn't really land for me. It's, it's a space set comedy movie and it has uh, Hugh Laurie in it and it also has Josh Gad who I he really annoys the shit out of me. He's a kind of Jack Black wannabe and his voice after seeing Frozen just goes through my head. But, and oh, he was awful in pixels. I, I'm not going to get it. He's actually quite good in Little Monsters though. Jeez, I'm really in rambly mode now. But Yeah, Avenue 5 is this it's space set comedy movie where it's actually the same plot as this extremely hopeless downbeat fucking German movie I watched called Anyara and it's set in the near future as well and it's about this spacecraft that like has 5,000 people on it and they're flying to Mars I think it is because that's where people are going to live now it's a new colony set up there where people can live on and while it's flying there I think a bolt flies in and it fucks up the brakes uh, and the turning so this vessel is now flying through space with 5,000 people on it with no brakes and no turning so or turning ability so it's pretty much going off into a void of doom and they're hoping that they can be flung around by gravitational pulls and all this and it's just all the stuff that goes on in it. and now some of the drama in it didn't really work for me and there's there is issues with it but the last 10 minutes or so is jaw-droppingly good like it's amazing what they did with it um, but it's more just a, you kind of forget you're in there in space at a certain point and it just becomes a sort of just a drama movie with these characters and you kind of lose interest in certain things and it goes a bit naff in certain places but it, it is actually quite a good film and Arrow Video actually released a, a lovely Blu-ray of that as well but this show Avenue 5 kind of has the same idea where it's Hugh Laurie is the captain of this ship and it's again it's this silly sort of like it's almost a holiday resort to be in space but things go wrong and they're kind of hurtling off into the void as well but it's it's a little less hopeless so far 
uh, with their idea. It's more just it's going to take them a few years to get back to where they need to get. And the dialogue in it feels improvised. It feels very similar to the thick of it and the death of Stalin. But it's, I don't know, it just a lot of the comedy didn't work. It, it seems to be very American uh, targeted comedy. And his writing, I don't think, really reflects that too well. Just a lot of it seemed really... I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe. I just felt underwhelmed by it. I think with with the bar he set with Death of Stalin, I thought, this is going to be fucking great. And it ended up just kind of being a bit disappointing. But another series that started back last week, which is one of the greatest comedy shows ever made, is Kirby Enthusiasm. And it was just so fucking refreshing to see Larry David back on the big... Well, I suppose it is a big screen in my house, but back on TV because oh god he just he does and says the things you wish you could fucking do and say because he just has zero uh, it's not even that he has zero moral compass he just has zero shame in what he says and does and it's what everyone should say and do but no one does because they're just too awkward but the amount of gags and the amount of things that have been set up for the rest of this series and where it's going to go is just remarkable how they managed to do that much in what 35 37 minutes someone made actually i won't even say this because it's one of the best gags of the whole show but someone that uh jeff garland reminds people of and it's brilliant how they do it and i just know that this series is going to go down some really touchy subjects and it's going to do really well so yeah like having kirby enthusiasm back on tv is just a dream and i hope it's unfortunate now that uh uh, I know him as Super Dave Osborne, but I can't remember his actual name. But in the show, he's known as uh, Marty Funkhauser. And he is just one of the funniest side characters in the whole series. And he unfortunately died last year. And I think it was before he had a chance to shoot any scenes, which is really unfortunate because I I would love to see a bit more of him. But uh, the series so far has is, is just kicked off in a brilliant way. So, And episode two is out tonight, and I'm fucking really looking forward to that. So I give my highest recommendation to uh well Kirby Enthusiasm in general because it's one of the most enjoyable shows ever made but my my recommendation is for those who have watched the show and do like the show get on this new series or new season of it because it's top class jeez I have gone on for much longer than I expected this is uh this whole podcasting thing is a lot more uh wordy than I expected that's also the stupidest fucking thing I've ever said. Because of course it's wordy, it's a podcast. But what I mean is how long I'm actually able to talk on my own for. I suppose it's easy when I'm rambling about things I don't like. But speaking of things I do like, because I meant to talk about this probably about 15 minutes ago and what you're listening to, is Jojo Rabbit. And I'm going to finish up on this. Um, I've been meaning to see this since early December because I had two different screenings I could have gone to that I just didn't get a chance to and it's unfortunate because I would have actually no I had three screenings I could have gone to and I just didn't get a chance to see any of them and uh, I'd just been anticipating it ever since and then it came at the start of the year and I only got around to seeing it there on the 22nd so five days ago Jesus it only feels like a couple of days ago but um, it's Taika Waititi's new movie uh, he obviously became well for me anyway he became famous for what we do in the shadows one of the funniest comedy movies of the entire decade uh it's a vampire mockumentary and everyone i know who i've showed it to has absolutely loved it and there's no surprise it's one of the most i could call it well written i suppose there are parts that are written but a lot of it was improvised and it's just so funny 
about just vampires sharing an apartment in New Zealand, in modern day New Zealand, but these are vampires from all different uh, time periods. He was famous for another movie called Boy, which is another Kiwi movie, and apparently that's excellent, and I've yet to watch that. But with the success of what what we do in the shadows, he managed to go out and make Thor Ragnarok, which was obviously a huge hit, one of the most enjoyable films of the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it kind of just felt like Guardians of the Galaxy Three, which is the highest compliment. If if it was part of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, that would actually be the best one, nearly. So I've been waiting to see what he was going to do next, and this is what he came out with. And it's a movie that I was quite worried about in the first maybe half an hour, maybe up to 40 minutes, because it basically follows this little boy who is part of the Hitler Youth, and he's being trained in to be a soldier for the, uh, Hitler's army. And it's just... it's coming towards the end of world war Two, i think it's set in 44 or 40 actually it could be set in 45 but it's it's set around that time anyway and tensions are really high and he lives with his mother who's played by scarlett johansson and throughout the start of the movie you realize he has an imaginary friend and that imaginary friend is hitler himself played by taika waititi and or by tt i'm not quite sure how you pronounce that i say why why I don't fucking know. He's it's a strange name, uh, but he thought it'd be great to play him because he's not only Jewish but Maori, and he thought, or no, he's not only Maori but he's Jewish, and he thought it would just be the perfect fuck you to Hitler, which it is. And it's strange. He's for the first half hour of this movie, I thought, is it just gonna be this little boy getting ready to join the army, but talking to imaginary Hitler, and Hitler's kind of. He kind of talks like a child, which I suppose makes sense because he is an imaginary in a child's head. But I've a, I was really apprehensive at first. I was like, okay, this is wearing a bit thin already. And you have Sam Sam Rockwell in there as well as a, a general who trains him, and he's just brilliant. In it. He's brilliant in everything. I don't think I've ever seen a Sam Rockwell performance that wasn't great. But what am I talking about? Yeah, so I, I spent a good portion of that movie just being like, oh shit, is this going to be? imaginary hitler for two hours am i gonna end up hating this movie despite the fact i was anticipating it but after about half an hour a situation comes up i'm not going to explain what it is because it's that's far enough into the film that it's i think a spoiler so all i'm going to say is that a situation comes up for this little boy and it makes for a really really interesting story uh i'm being a bit too vague i suppose but no, it's just, it's just, I highly recommend it. <laughs> That's probably the shittest review I've ever fucking done in my life. But it's a hard one to talk about because I think if I explained what goes down, it would kind of kill a lot of the tension and a lot of the atmosphere because maybe I was partially disappointed after 20 minutes thinking, oh fuck, I, I've kind of made a mistake here with this movie. It's It's just him talking to Hitler and the antics he gets up to but it it really goes to smart places and there's a particular moment in the movie that's foreshadowed early on well not quite actually yeah, i suppose it is foreshadowed uh really subtly and when it comes into the movie it's a proper gut punch it's done so fucking well and it's really 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 effective and that that kind of really elevated the movie for me as well like i was enjoying it up until then but after that i was like all right this is really fucking good um 
and it just really went, brilliantly blends comedy and drama because obviously it's a fucking it's set during World War Two. There's horrendous shit going on, and uh, like references to the Gestapo and Holocaust and all this kind of shit. So it's bleak subject matter told in a really hopeful and happy way, but it it does have its moments of drama which are really really effective. Scarlett Johansson was nominated for an Oscar for it though, which despite how good she is in the film, I, I don't know if she's worthy for an Oscar. I mean, obviously she's up for Marriage Story as well, and she absolutely deserves that. I think herself and Adam Driver, I'd be really happy if they both took away the Best uh, best Actor and Best Actress awards, because they're both outstanding in that movie. But this one, I think, while she's really good in it, she's and she is a support actor, or actress in it, or actor, whatever the fuck you want to call it, I think that's as good as she is, a supporting Oscar is a bit much. But the little kid in it, uh, he was up for a Golden Globe, I think. Or at least he should have been, because he's fucking brilliant. I have to get his name now, Jesus. All over the shop today. Uh, Roman Griffin Davis. He was absolutely tremendous in it. And uh, there's small parts from Stephen Merchant, who's just always good anyway. He's such a fucking odd bastard. But uh, And Rebel Wilson as well, who's just... She's just sort of in the background, and it kind of annoyed me. And Alfie Allen, who... I don't. I can't see his career taking off outside of Game of Thrones. To be honest, he's just always going to be known as Reek. <laughs> so it's always tough when you get a character like that in a show, and that kind of just you're stamped with that for forever. But yeah, I think this film is just really, really effective and strong. And if you're a bit apprehensive watching it for the first twenty minutes, all I'll say is stick with it because I know I know there's some people out there who turn movies off after twenty minutes. I I can't allow myself to do it. If I start a movie, I'm going to finish it. And even if it's shite. Because I could talk about it then. I can say why it's shite. But I can't uh, I can't watch something for 20 minutes and turn it off. Because you never know. There's movies you watch that take a long time to get into. And when they do, you're totally invested. And then when you watch them again, that first maybe half hour to an hour that you weren't too fond of. You see why it's so good now. Because it could be planting seeds and it could be making things more effective. So always stick with the movie if you start it. I've given a lot of I've got a lot of movie life lessons today, uh, and a lot of rambling. This is the fucking I can't believe how long this episode was. I knew it would be different lengths each time, but this is this is pushing new laws. Nearly two hours long, which I'm quite impressed with too. Fucking hell, for episode two, maybe every episode will be an hour longer, and eventually I'll have a fucking twenty-five hour one that I do in one go. Maybe not. Definitely not. Actually, um, but yeah, with Jojo Rabbit totally recommend that one i've seen a lot of people fucking giving out about it online and i think some people are just hard to please anyway but there's some people out there that i know are just being contrarians and it it just does my fucking head in just enjoy things let yourself enjoy a movie i think as i said the first and first and foremost enjoyment when it comes to movies i don't want to watch a movie to hate it i want to watch it to enjoy it even if it's kind of shit and i enjoy it that should be the goal. But people out there who just want to hate things and they want to come in and go, oh, this is stupid and it's a really obvious take on how fucking evil is taught and racism and blah, blah. It's like, yeah, it might be, but it's also a 12s movie. It's a movie that is for kids to enjoy. So if you can teach good fucking life lessons like that to kids without having to go down ultra grim and gritty wartime fucking scenes and scenarios to, to make that point then do and this film does and i think it's one of the most enjoyable films i've seen so far this year now i've only seen technically four 
movies <laughs> this year that have been released and two of them were shorts so maybe that statement doesn't mean that much but i would thoroughly recommend seeing it in the cinema as well because i think that that particular gut punch scene i mentioned on the big screen was quite effective and i'm gonna wrap this podcast up now because crisis is long uh but not before i do a quick rundown of letterboxd because last week i just kind of gave a brief idea so uh what i said last week was that it is a place that you go to log all the movies that you see and the information that you get with it when you do the pro version is just unbelievable so you have stats for 2020 here but i'm going to look at 2019 because it'll be more it gives you the year in review and you can do your whole your all-time review as well but for instance i've watched 443 movies last year i wrote 184 reviews i did two lists i did like i liked eight people's reviews did comments and in total i watched 700 and what was it nearly 780 hours of movies and it gives you a whole breakdown of how many movies a week you watch so there's 52 little bars here that tells me how many movies each time october obviously was the biggest because uh (laughs) in october i decided i was going to watch 100 horror films throughout the whole month i ended up watching 102 and two movies that weren't horror movies so i watched 104 movies in total in one month or in one month and I'd be lying if I said it didn't absolutely blow me out afterwards. (laughs) But uh, I think my first week of October. So I watched 40 movies. Oh no. I watched 25 movies the first week. 21 movies the second week. 20 movies the third week. And 29 movies the the last week. So quite happy with that. Although it did miss one of them. Because there's some movies that actually aren't on Letterboxd. Even though they're on IMDb. Which is a bit irritating. Um, But that shows you your average per week. Your average per month. Uh, what days of the week you watch the most movies throughout the year it shows you your your milestones of the year so the movies you watch most in one year which was once upon a time in hollywood last year shows your first film and your last film so my first film last year was an extremely bleak holocaust movie called the gray zone and my last film was the extremely enjoyable action movie called the protector uh it shows you how many drama movies or shows you by genre shows you by country shows you by language that you watch so i've saw i watched six korean films last year i watched 21 japanese movies i watched 58 mystery films so it gives you all these rundowns breaks down what your ratings are what you've added to your watch list and what you saw from it the top actors you watch so my number one watched actor last year was of course nicholas cage and samuel l jackson was neck and neck because i think samuel l jackson has been in the most movies i've watched in total in life because he's in fucking everything but it breaks down all these things it breaks down the directors you watch most so i watched mostly kevin smith movies john woo movies david lynch movies all the producers and this is kind of unfortunate but uh the top producers that i've watched were the weinstein brothers so harvey weinstein's obviously on the top of that because the guy despite being the biggest piece of fucking shit in the world he has produced some fucking great movies uh shows my top writers so i watched mostly stephen king movies last year top editors top cinematographers so it gives you a breakdown of all this and uh, my most liked reviews the highs and lows so it talks about the most obscure movie i saw the most popular movie i saw the lowest rated movie which is the fanatic <laughs> which again doesn't deserve to be that low and the highest rated movie which is parasite which is fucking incredible and i'm going to talk about that again in the next couple of weeks and uh it shows you a world map of all the countries in the world where you've watched the most movies and then it shows you a list of movies at the end that you might have missed so 
that's just even the, the year breakdown. That's just how in-depth it gets. Like, I barely scratched the surface of how much detail there is there. But the actual app itself, it's an app on your phone, by the way, too. Like, I, I use it on the computer and the phone. But it lets you keep a diary of everything you've watched by date, by rating, just everything. It's just, if you're a complete movie nerd and you love to have all these, all the... I see I said analytics last time and I think that's the word so if <laughs> if you want to have all these analytics and, and information about what you watch and I mean it's pretty much a social media site it's like Facebook just for movies like it's a fucking dream website so that's it's something I'd thoroughly recommend there is a free one obviously you don't get as much detail with the free one it does give you a little year review at the end and tells you what your most watched movie was and whatever else but like if you want the full breakdown of everything it's all there and like last week, if you want to actually see all my breakdowns, and <laughs> that sounds like there's just a, a camera watching me have mental breakdowns, but if you want to see my all my lists and all my information, pretty much every review I've written, uh, they're all here on uh, Letterboxd. So it's letterboxd.com, which is L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D dot C-O-M forward slash K underscore shields 92. And then you get to have all that information. And I'd recommend joining it as well. And if you join it, feel free to add me if you want to see and hear all the bollocks I go on about. So yeah, that was outrageous. This is nearly two hours long. How the fuck have I managed to do this? I mean, I know I do this anyway on the Lazy Dad podcast. But fuck me, this is going to be a real commuters kind of podcast. I don't think I see many people listen to this at home. But if they do, thank you very much. And if you do enjoy this, uh, obviously share it around. And... Those of you who are listening in Vietnam and the Netherlands, please get in contact because I'd be more than interested to know who you are and how you even discovered this. Um, so yeah, this has been episode two of the Crack Drill podcast. I'm, thanks for listening this much. I apologise for the length, but uh, as I said, you chewed us on. This is, this is entirely your fault. <laughs> so have a good day and yeah, you're all cunts. Goodbye.